In this week's episode, we talk about one of the least understood addictions, gambling addiction. Bringing hope and healing. It's your source for personal growth, mental health, and interesting ideas. Thoughtful Mind with Svee. Here's your host, Svee Hilsenrath. And welcome back to Thoughtful Mind with Svee. I'm your host, Svee Hilsenrath. This week, I'd like to thank the people of Sunrise Manor, Nevada. That's our gratitude city for the week, so thank you to all the listeners in Sunrise Manor, Nevada. A while ago, I wrote a couple of articles for a Jewish newspaper on the topic of addiction. And in one of them, I mentioned that I had asked my mentor, Rabbi Shimon Russell, uh, LCSW, what he considered to be the most destructive of addictions. And his answer at the time surprised me. He said that he considered gambling to be the most destructive of the addictions. And we'll get into exactly what his thinking is on why it's the most destructive a little later. But someone wrote to me recently and asked me to expand on his answer and, and talk more about gambling addiction. And in an upcoming episode, we're going to talk more about addictions in general. I've already done a couple of episodes on addiction in the last season, in season one. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit today about what addiction is and how it affects the brain. We're going to talk more about that in a different episode. And also, I want to relay, more importantly, some of the experiences that I've heard from people about what it's like to live with addiction what life as an addict feels like, because that's often something that's missed. Um, but that's going to be a different episode. In researching for this podcast, I came across a very interesting article from 2013 in Scientific American. I'm going to put the link to that article in the description. And we're going to start with talking about what gambling addiction looks like. Because often when people think about gambling addiction, they think of high-stakes Texas Hold'em poker uh, in fancy casinos or backroom illegal games or you know, maybe a dice game in an alley. And that's true. That is definitely a large part of gambling addiction. And one of the things I learned from uh, from the Scientific American article, which surprised me, was how involved casinos are in helping address gambling addiction. Like, you'd think that they would be very invested in making sure that, you know, gambling addicts keep gambling. But it turns out that the cost of all the IOUs, you know, all the markers that never get paid – actually exceeds any profit they would get from working with a gambling addict. And so they're also very invested in addressing um, gambling addiction. But there is another side to gambling addiction. I had a client who, who indirectly, I believe, died from gambling addiction. He lived in the community and his vice was scratch off lottery tickets. And it got so bad that toward the end of his life, he basically stopped buying food and just bought scratch off lottery tickets. Because he was so addicted. That was, that was it. He'd buy just the minimal amount of food. He would get his weekly paycheck. He'd buy what he considered to be enough food for the week, which was barely a food for the day. And then he'd spend the rest of his money on cigarettes and on scratch off lottery tickets and eventually died because his body couldn't support itself anymore. And part of the problem is that gambling is very ubiquitous. It's all over the place. Uh, gambling is legal in every single state except Hawaii and Utah. In my home state of New Jersey, we have Atlantic City. Atlantic City has many, many people that are experiencing homelessness. And as part of a previous job, I used to work with this population. And I hear all the time that they just want to be near the casinos because they'd talk about the action. You could hear the capital letters, the action. And what was the action? The action was the gambling, the thrill. And now there's online gambling. So you can get on your phone and you can carry your gambling addiction with you. 
Some studies estimate there's about 2 million people in the United States alone that are addicted to gambling, and up to 20 million people have a gambling habit that seriously interferes with their work or social life, which kind of is addiction. Um, and that sounds like a lot of people, but if you think how many people with low income uh, spend a significant amount of their paycheck on lottery tickets or on bingo, that number doesn't seem so far-fetched, does it? I've heard it said that state lottery is really just a poor tax. It's a tax on poor people because uh, the vast majority, I mean, the vast majority of people that buy lottery tickets live in low-income areas. And gambling is also usually paired with uh, cross-addiction. So often what you see with addictions is if somebody is addicted to one thing, then they cross-addict to another thing too. So if they're addicted to alcohol, maybe they're also addicted to overeating. And from my own professional experience, I can say, I don't have numbers, but it, it seems to me that gambling is almost always paired with a cross-addiction. Usually drugs, because that'll help fuel you to keep going. Um, alcohol is very common in casinos. Love addiction is very common because of the areas where people might be uh, gambling. And as we'll see in a minute, what the true nature of gambling addiction is, but the real addiction, what are you addicted to? All this cross-addiction stuff will make more sense. For a minute, I'd just like to pause and say, what is addiction? Um, and usually when people think of addiction, they think of a dependency to a chemical. I mentioned before my mentor, Rabbi Shimon Russell, he gave me his working addiction, which we've used on the podcast before, and that is addiction is the compulsive repetition of any behavior despite the inevitable negative consequences of said behavior to oneself or to those you love. So it's less of a dependency on a chemical, a more repeated pursuit of a rewarding experience, even though you know those experiences will have serious negative consequences on other areas of your life or other areas of your loved one's lives. And so many people are limited in their understanding of addiction because they're still working with that chemical dependency definition. And they're wondering where's the chemical in gambling. It's easier to understand what the addiction is when you look at it as a repetitive behavior as a pursuit of rewarding experience. So why do gambling addicts gamble? The bottom line is gambling addicts risk everything again and again. It doesn't make sense that it would be for the thrill of winning because then one big win should stop the whole thing. You chase after the win, you get the win, and you're done. So it's not the winning. Turns out that gambling addiction is not a new thing. This was written about very clearly in 1902. There's a man, S.W. Erdnace, which is a pseudonym for somebody else. We actually don't know who it truly is. And he wrote in 1902 one of the greatest, if not the greatest book on card cheating, how to cheat at cards um, in Chicago. Among magicians who sleight of hand and among gamblers, the book that S.W. Erdnace wrote, The Expert at the Card Table, is very famous. And in his introduction, he says this. He says, The passion for play is probably as old and will be as enduring as the race of man. Some of us are too timid to risk a dollar, but the percentage of people in this feverish nation who would not enjoy winning one, is very small. The passion culminates in the professional. He would rather play than eat. Winning is not his sole delight. Someone has remarked that there is but one pleasure in life greater than winning. That is, in making the hazard. In other words, that is, in risking everything. It's the risk that the gambling addict is addicted to. Again, I'm going to read that second half again, because it's written so well. The passion culminates in the professional, a.k.a. the gambling addict, who would rather play than eat. Think back to my client. 
who would rather spend money on scratch-off lottery tickets than on food. Winning is not his sole delight, because if winning was his sole delight, then a big win would cure his illness. Someone has remarked there is but one pleasure in life greater than winning, that is, in making the hazard, in taking that risk. One of the most famous cheats and gamblers of all time, Titanic Thompson, actually died penniless because he was addicted to that risk and risked everything again and again, even though he won millions of dollars at the turn of the last century, when millions of dollars was millions of dollars, meant a lot more. He won and won and won and lost it all because he couldn't stop risking it all. Let's take a look for a minute at the effect of drugs and gambling on the brain because research shows that the causes and effects of addiction are very similar when it comes to both gambling and drugs. So in your brain, you have a chemical that is released called dopamine. It's one of the things that makes you feel good when it's released in your brain. It's triggered by naturally good things. Like if you exercise, you get dopamine. We spoke about that last week. Forcing yourself to smile will trigger dopamine, but it'll trigger a small amount. If somebody takes drugs or if somebody uh, risks something large, like in gambling, then the dopamine levels shoot up up to 10 times more than the natural dose, depending on the stimulant, whether it's drugs or the gambling or, or risk. And unlike when the dopamine is triggered by natural causes like exercise or like by spending time with loved ones, the excess, the high of the drug or the gambling affects your intake of the dopamine. This repetitive influx of high levels of dopamine causes the brain to readjust. It, it can't handle so much dopamine. So it leads to a weakening of the brain's natural dopamine input. That's why addicts have a hard time enjoying regular activities because things that should bring them pleasure, again, exercise, spending time with loved ones, completing a task, their brain doesn't release the proper amount of dopamine because it can't handle all the dopamine that came before it, so it reduced the amount that it releases naturally. Because of this weakening dopamine output, Addicts now need more of the same drug or the same activity to get the same high because your brain is fighting this enormous dopamine output. So it limits the amount it puts out even from drugs, let alone natural activities. And therefore, when you take the drug, it's not as effective. Therefore, you need to take more of the drug. Or when you do the risky behavior, you get a shorter, smaller high and therefore you need to take riskier behaviors. And just like drug users need stronger doses of their drug of choice, gamblers need higher and higher doses of what? Not of winning, but of risk. And the less money the gambler has, the higher the risk. So even though the numbers don't make sense, sometimes gambling the last $100 a person has can be a bigger high than the first $10,000 because the first $10,000, say a person has $100,000, first $10,000, it's a larger number than the last 100, but there's less risk because you have all this other money. But when you're down to your last 100, that's where the real high is because the risk is so great. Now, at the same time that the dopamine is maladjusted and negatively affecting you that way, the neural pathways to your prefrontal cortex, that part of your brain which helps regulate behaviors, which helps uh, draw you in when you do something risky, are weakened. Those neural pathways are weakened. And this is why we see addicts do things which make no sense. It's because the pathway to the prefrontal cortex is weakened 
and that this makes no sense, that message doesn't get to the addict. So you'll see a lot of irrational beliefs um, that are common and pronounced with gambling addicts. Uh, here's a few that I've heard personally. I almost won this time. I was so close, the next one has to be a winner. Or, I know I'm losing a lot of money, but when I hit it big, I'll win back all of my money, even though you may never win and therefore never get the money back. Somebody has to win, so it might as well be me, meaning out of the millions of people that are playing, one of them has to win, so it might as well be me that wins, even though odds are against it. Here's one. I have a system. My client told me this when he was talking about scratch-off lottery tickets, which is the worst odds in all of gambling. He had a system to win. I've seen people play dice, and they say, oh, I'm rolling on all the bad luck. So before they start playing, they'll roll the dice until they get all ones to roll out the bad luck, as if that's going to help them win their money back. So the addict literally has a hard time comprehending the damage of his or her addiction to himself and others, because the part of the brain that comprehends that and the part of the brain that regulates all that is weakened. The pathways are weakened. Because of this, the more the addict participates in the addiction, the harder it is to stop because you're not getting the reward as strong, so you keep chasing that. And then the part of the brain that would tell you to stop is weaker and weaker and weaker. I do wonder if this is also why addicts are so good at lying, both to themselves and others, because they're so disconnected from reality in a very real way that lying becomes natural. Just a theory I have. I don't know. One interesting thing I did see is that there is a link between Parkinson's disease and gambling addiction because Parkinson's disease is caused by the death of dopamine-producing neurons in the brain. And researchers noticed that a high number of people suffering from Parkinson's were also compulsive gamblers, uh, 2 to 7% higher than the average population. And they do wonder if this is a side effect of treating Parkinson's where there has to be an increase of dopamine to level out the loss caused by the disease, then leads to the risk-seeking behavior of gambling addiction. Now, what can be done for gambling addiction? Well, it's the same as any other addiction in its treatment. CBT can be effective, a 12-step model can be effective. Unfortunately, most gambling addicts either don't realize they're addicted, or don't know that gambling can be addiction, or they refuse to seek treatment. Up to 80% of gambling addicts never seek treatment, and those who do, up to 75% go back to gambling. It's a hard thing to beat. Meanwhile, let's answer the question that we asked at the beginning. Why is gambling addiction so destructive? Well, unlike drug addiction, which is physically and emotionally destructive to the, the person themselves, and also to the family, but to a lesser extent, not to negate what happens to families of addicts, it's very terrible. But to a lesser extent, drug addiction, although it can get expensive, pales in comparison to the financial cost of gambling addiction. Harry Anderson, a well-known expert in gambling, said, You want to know who makes the money in the casinos? You want to know who wins in the casinos? Look who has the nice carpets. In every addiction, an addict is always thinking about where they can get money to pay for their addiction because addictions are expensive. And so that's why they say if you have a drug addict in your family, somebody suffering from, for example, opioid addiction, you can buy them food, you can give them this, but never give them money, never give them something they can sell for money, because all you're doing is paying for more drugs. When it comes to gambling, because the stakes are so high, because the cost is so high, the gambling addict will steal from whomever they can. And the people they're going to steal from are going to be family, the people they're going to steal from are going to be friends. People they're going to steal from are their own business. Those are the prime targets. 
And it doesn't stop there because then they will steal the identity of their family and friends, max out all the credit and all the credit cards of those people. The addict doesn't mean to be cruel or hurtful. They can't help themselves. It's, it's not okay what they're doing. What they're doing is harmful and dangerous and they need to stop. But when people are damaged so strongly, because again, with the drug addiction, yes, it's psychologically hard for the family, but ultimately they can cut ties as painful as it is. With gambling addiction, their lives are ruined because their credit is ruined, their identities are stolen. And now even if the person gets treatment, the family and friends and business are left holding the bucket. If you do know somebody that is suffering from gambling addiction, reach out to GA. They're Gamblers Anonymous. They have a lot of supportive material online. But know that even if you provide that supportive material to the gambling addict, chances are they will not seek treatment. And so make sure to take care of yourself first. I'd like to thank everyone that's been listening, everyone that's been sharing on social media. It really means so much to me when people share. I also have been enjoying people's feedback on telling me what they do and don't enjoy about the podcast. I haven't asked this in a while, but whatever podcast app you're using, whether it's the Apple Podcast app or Spotify or CastBox, please take the time to rate and if you're able to write a review of this podcast, especially if you enjoy it. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can contact me through my website, thoughtfulmindpodcast.com. The email is thoughtfulmindpodcast at gmail.com, where the telephone number is 732-523-0061. And until next time, go out, believe in yourself.